0: One of the component aspects of this that struck me first was uh, a faculty member or an adjunct faculty member named uh, Johann Galtung. He's the father of peace studies. And what Johan Galtung meant to me in my work as a graduate student was really profound. He had written and led movements in peace, peace education, had mobilized a generation, not just of scholars, but people doing the work. And here he was at Saybrook doing teaching and engaging with students. Unfortunately, he he had just left as I was coming on board, but I thought, if an institution like Saybrook is really engaging scholars like this, I want to see and possibly be a part of this.
1: The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to another episode of the Love in Action podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of business leadership, work culture, and something we call practical love. That's the whole reason we call the show Love in Action. I'm glad you could join us. Spread the love by sharing this episode with a friend, and we would be grateful if you could leave us a review on iTunes as well. If you're a regular listener on the show, well, you're quite familiar with the fact that we feature top executives of growing and reputable companies with great missions and work cultures to talk about how they lead, how they take care of their people, and how that leads to business growth. And today we get to feature one of those exceptional executives. I'm going to be sitting down with Dr. Nathan Long, president of Saybrook University. Dr. Long has been in higher education for over 25 years. He's responsible for providing executive leadership for all strategic and operational aspects for the university. Prior to that, he served as president of the Christ College of Nursing and Health Services for four years. He holds a doctorate of education and master's of education in interdisciplinary studies from the University of Cincinnati. Hey, Dr. Long also has his own podcast that he just relaunched. It's called Saybrook Insights, which is designed to bring key ideas from A variety of changemakers, ranging from faculty, students, alumni, community members, and and leading regional and national figures advancing the health and well-being of the communities they serve. And speaking of Saybrook University, a great university that I have personally been tracking for over 20 years. Saybrook is an online, private, nonprofit graduate university. And really, I'm calling them for what I feel they are. They are the premier institution for humanistic scholarship and practice. Founded by luminary psychologists for 50 years now, Saybrook has offered advanced degrees, currently offering programs in psychology, integrative medicine and health sciences, business administration, counseling, and transformative social change. We're going to talk a lot about some of their education options. I love their mission. And listen, if you're in the stage of life right now that you might be considering an advanced degree, Saybrook is one of those institutions that is truly committed to helping students develop as as whole beings, as whole individuals, right? Mind, body, spirit, And they want to see their students go out and relentlessly pursue a more socially just and sustainable world. Boy, do we need that more than ever. With low residency requirements for master's and doctoral degrees, students can earn an online graduate degree and meet their personal and professional needs as adult learners servicing their communities. Saybrook is an affiliate of TCS Education System, a nonprofit system of colleges advancing institutional sustainability, student success, and community impact. TCS fosters strategic partnerships that emphasize economies of scale, independent academic governance, risk mitigation, innovative business solutions, and more in order to maximize the educational experience of their students. Dr. Long and I are going to be talking more about the favorite culture and mission. And he now joins us. Such a pleasure. Welcome to the Love and Action podcast. Marcel, great to be here. Thanks for having me, sir. All right. So we start the episode traditionally with this question. Here we go. What's your story?
0: Well, without going all the way back to childhood, let, let's just start a, a few years back here in terms of Uh, my journey in higher ed, because I think that's the most relevant to what we're talking about with Saybrook today, right? Many moons ago, I was a classical musician, performer, studied that in undergrad, started graduate school with that at a conservatory in Cincinnati. And part of my grad TA work, so teaching assistant work and research work, was working in housing and uh, supporting the work going on in the dormitories or residence halls, Uh, as the case may be, and really engaging with our student population, all men at the time. Mm. And many of those men were considered, you know, either at risk or working to try and just muddle through college. Uh, We were an institution that served a broad population. And I started finding myself drawn to the idea that I could be a fundamental part of these young men's lives in terms of helping them, supporting them, loving them towards a future that included a degree that would unlock a lot of potential for them down the road. And I found myself also drifting away from music. Music's very solitary. It's very inwardly focused. A lot of times, yeah, you get the audience stuff and you're working to provide music to uh, big crowds and individuals. But I, I think for me, there was a give back component. And it really struck me that I needed to pursue this as a a calling, if you will. And so went on to graduate school, graduated with my doctorate, as you mentioned in the intro, and then uh, headed off to Arizona State for a short stint, came back to Cincinnati to serve and build out a diploma nursing school into a college of nursing and health sciences. And the president and I worked very closely together along with our other colleagues to continue in that vein of providing really excellence in higher education, building out a full liberal arts curriculum embedded within a nursing curriculum, which is unique across the country. So it was very exciting. And then over the years, uh, she ended up retiring Um, And as I like to joke, the board had no other options, so they asked me to serve as their interim president, and we just sort of fell in love with each other and decided to move forward. It it just happened by accident. So after about four years in the seat, I had a recruiter reach out to me from Saybrook University. She was representing Saybrook University, a few other colleges, actually, uh, that were really intriguing and exciting one of the component aspects of this that struck me first was uh, a faculty member or an adjunct faculty member named uh, Johann Galtung. He's the father of peace studies. And what Johan Galtung meant to me in my work as a graduate student was really profound. He had written and led movements in peace, peace education, had mobilized a generation, not just of scholars, but people doing the work. And here he was at Saybrook doing teaching and engaging with students. Unfortunately, he was he had just left as I was coming on board. But I thought, if an institution like Saybrook is really engaging scholars like this, I want to see and possibly be a part of this. Oh. Then, of course, the mission really spoke to me, focusing on a, creating a more just, humane, sustainable world. I met the board. It was like the stars aligned. And here we were together the students, the faculty, and it was love at first sight, if you will. And from there, back in 2014, it just happened. I wasn't looking necessarily for a change, but that change found me, and, and as many of our students say, Saybrook found them. Uh, they didn't find Saybrook. So we, we sort of uh, had the same thing happen uh, to me and my family. And it's been um, over these eight years, really a profound, powerful experience, um, certainly not without its challenges. Right. I think it's a nonprofit, private institution, small graduate level institution. Those are The challenges we face are like hundreds of others across the country, uh, but we have weathered those in really powerfully positive ways in large part, I think, because of the, I call it the stickiness of our community. We hold together quite well and we work together well. Um, So here I am, and and that's my story, and I'm sticking to
1: it, Marcel. You see, you've already captured so many elements that that you would never read in an actual PR copy of a description of a, you know, university. I mean, there's there's it's personal and uh, and I appreciate that. You got it. You got it. So let's expand a little bit on uh, on the description of the university. I love asking this question because, you know, when I when I talk to CEOs of of companies, they sometimes have a different spin on on things through their lenses. So as president, in your own words, how would you describe Saybrook? There are many
0: ways Saybrook can be described. I would say what is easiest for me is that we are a humanistically focused institution of higher learning uh, with an emphasis on social justice and sustainability. And really, ultimately, that is leading towards advancing the health and well-being of our communities. So that's the copy, right? Right. right. That's what I would say in the core message. But I think Saybrook is one of these institutions in our country. I think that, and you know, every institution has their thing, but I think what continues to magnetize students, to magnetize people to Saybrook is this heartfelt, deep abiding love, and desire to support students, alumni, and our communities in living into their whole selves. And not many institutions, I think, can do that. And I I say that as uh, someone who went to three fabulous institutions of higher learning in the past. I just have to say that what Saybrook offers is that unique blend of connection, holistic, understanding of and development of self with a strong dose of living into that socially just and uh, sustainable thinking that helps us uh, get better and be better uh, and actualize our best potential. So I think that's maybe the, the big philosophical version at its core, right? Saybrook is a virtual institution. We've been at a distance for 50 years. So we've Always have that distance learning piece. We're graduate only right now, and we have been for those 50 years offering PhDs and masters. And that distance piece has really served us well. Now, some people will go, How is it that you have a distance education piece and you call yourselves humanistic? And I would say that's absolutely a compatible set of ideas that you can actually enhance that. It it forces us to be better at connection. At, relation, at relations with our students and our faculty and our staff. It forces us to be more engaged on a day-in, day-out basis. So I would almost offer up that this helps us be the best at what we do in that online space as we are today. And then we have what we, we've clung to this history of Uh, The residential experience, Um, and that's not uncommon in a lot of institutions, but what Saybrook is also holds to that residential experience as being a centerpiece. And what that ultimately looks like has changed. It used to be one national conference a year where everyone would convene in a place. Now it's twice a year where we convene in different locations. Over the pandemic, it's been virtual, and I would say we've been able to cling to the, the components that are so essential uh, for our community to remain not only intact but vibrant uh, throughout all of those. And those, those residentials are those, I think our faculty would offer that they're the touchstones of the experience that they sort of enliven the mission of the institution in really beautiful ways. So that's who we are. I wouldn't say it's a nutshell. I kind of went on about that, but I think those are all important aspects as to who we are.
1: Yeah, and it's it's gonna prompt me to ask a follow-up question, which I will, but I wanna, you know, related it to how you were forced into, for the nays, naysayers that that told you, you know, how can you call yourself, yourselves a humanistic educational uh, institution when you're doing it online or hybrid, et cetera. So, I definitely want to follow up on that because I because this is important for the day and age we we are in. But let me back up. I'm going to pull you back a little bit to this whole idea of humanistic psychology especially because I believe that that was the sort of your origin. So in I'm a big fan of humanistic psychology, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you know, as a way of of to to self actualize to keep you on that on a continuous path of upward trajectory and personal growth. So give us a better understanding of, um, of, of humanistic psychology. Uh, I mean, and, and it's really, it's impact in the world. What, how would you define it?
0: Yeah. So, you know, as our faculty often do, they'll, they'll say, I, I, they, they don't like me to oversimplify. And so, but I think for our audience, it's best to understand that humanistic psychology in its base form, is really focused around the whole individual. And that sounds simplistic in a way, but it's actually very complex, especially from a psychological perspective, right? So let's rewind a bit and go into the history of psychology, right? So psychology in and of itself through Freud and others like Bandera and others, Yeah, a lot of behaviorism, a lot of uh, psychodynamics focused around things that really took the human being out of their core element, which is the day-to-day lived experience, the real world, if you will, right? Laboratory experiments, sometimes it was detached from family, from all the relationships that they have within their entire scope of life. The humanistic psychologists and humanistic values in particular understand that the human being cannot be just plucked out and analyzed. That you, Marcel, are a a man who has many different parts that feed who you are psychologically, physiologically, physically, right? And all those pieces Weave into who you are as an individual, and that for us to let's say, as a, if if I were a humanistic psychologist, I would want to understand those elements, those pieces, to help you best actualize your greatest potential. And so that's one major component of it. The other piece is that the humanistic psychologist is not saying, Marcel, here's what I'm going to do to fix you. That's important. One of our uh, just phenomenal therapists and faculty members uh, at Saybrook, Dr. Theopia Jackson, described it, I think, the best way possible is that the therapist and the individual are in journey together in finding this pathway because each person is wholly unique. And if we try and cluster and generalize or over-generalize, we aren't going to be of the best service to that individual as therapists, for example, or as if you want to apply it to the education realm into education. So that's another aspect of it. The the other major piece of this is, is on the research side. The research side is that from a psychology perspective, we had a lot of quantitative research. So you think statistics, and those are important, right? So you, you want those statistics to understand sort of trends and baselines and all the, that good stuff. But the other side to this is the qualitative aspect. And what qualitative, all that really means is it's descriptive, that deep, rich description of what's happening, what's going on, what's surfacing, what's emergent for an individual, right? So that research really seeks to dig deeper and understand the story, the narrative of the folks who are engaged in research with the researcher, the therapist, whomever. And so that's kind of the heart and the essence of humanistic psychology as I would best describe it today. And I think what Saybrook has endeavored to do over these last 51 years, and I think this is important too, so I'll just end with this. The principles of humanistic psychology thread through almost every other discipline, whether it's education, it's sociology, it's counseling, it's business, integrative health and medicine. If you look at all of our programs, for example, that humanistic set of principles undergirds everything that we do. And it's pretty powerful. And our students come out with a language that is uniquely different. I think then if you just went to studying nutrition, for example, at XYZ Institution, you come out with a a set of skills, a set of understandings, a set of opportunities and options to support the communities that you're working with when you go out into the world. And so that's what we're endeavoring to do is expand that humanistic lens even further across the disciplines. I love it. I love it.
1: Do you have any examples or stories about how these humanistic and and you know progressive approaches have already transpired into the workplace from from some of your your students, right? They learn these principles to obviously to go out and change the world. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I it's a great question. I mean, there are hundreds of them <laughs> that I could go into. You know, let me offer up that I think When we talk about business, for example, Mm -hmm. many of our students who are coming out of our organizational leadership and business programs have that humanistic lens and will apply that into their workplace. So, for example, there's, uh, uh, not sure if you've heard the triple P bottom line, the people, planet, profit, continuum. From a humanistic lens and in the business world, there's now a fourth P, people, planet, profit, and purpose. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so we, we see our students going out as practitioners doing that work in really powerful ways. And whether that's in the boardroom and they're working with how to mobilize teams in unique and different ways to support better action, to support better employee health, to we have an alum who's developed this fabulous new app for iPhone and Android for an entire health system in which she's been able to mobilize the leadership team at that health system to support the employees across that health system in order to advance their own health care journey. You have to be well as an employee to support patients that you're serving and the the public that you're working with. Um, Those are just a couple of of tangible examples. To our therapists um, that we have on staff and faculty here and their work, I mean, the, the incredible stories that you hear of transformation relative to how they work with individuals in their approach to Uh, better health and wellness. I was just talking yesterday about Dr. Kelly Serafini, who's a a humanistic psychologist and on on staff in our clinical uh, psychology program. And she just has such an amazing approach to addiction studies, right? That we have pathologized addiction, for example, that there's something wrong with you if you have an addiction, right? Whether it's alcohol abuse or smoking or whatever it might be. And it has less to do in the humanistic realm about, and this is what I love about how she applies this with her patients. We're not here to judge you or to tell you that you are addicted. What is it that you want out of your life? How do you want to live into your life? And then I will work with you. I will be in journey with you to help you get there. And the stories of transformation, when it comes from you, as the person who is in therapy to say, I want change. Now I need to own that change. I need to work to find out how I define it for me is different than if I'm defining it for you. And she just had many powerful stories, I think, around that, that I think uh, shine away from a lot of specifics, but a, a lot of broad themes in this area, because I just think they're there's so much to uh, embrace and understand about what we do
1: uh, in that regard.
0: So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And thanks for expanding on that. So bringing back that question, you know, the people, the naysayers that say, well, how can you be a, 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 an institution that teaches humanism where you're all kind of cooped up in your computers behind screens and and oh, where's the human part of that, right? So, talk to us a bit about. Okay, well, great. You've been this this hybrid online learning institution now for decades. So obviously, you got you got some skills in knowing how how to do this. So maybe maybe talk to a little bit about how you build community, how you keep people connected, really in a in a humanistic fashion as a learning organization.
0: Yeah, I think. The first principal way we do do this, Marcel, and I, I'll go back to what I said earlier, but I'll, I'll expand a little bit on it: the residential conferences that we host biannually, and that's one of the principal ways that we help to build community, and that is in person. So there there are some connected points there in person, but. W- what that does is it serves as an anchor for, for our students, right? So they come, they, they commune, they engage in person, they start their studies with their faculty, they work on their research uh, protocols, what have you, and then they go back out. And then they're online for 14, 15 weeks, and they're on their, yeah, you know, proverbially on their own. But the exciting part of this is that they're not on their own. So then we provide on that next phase of their journey following the RC, those key connection points, so that whether it's in class, whether it's extracurricular activities such as uh, the student life programming that we offer on a nearly every other week basis, to the virtual student community cafe that we have, to the various workshops. I mean, I even offer a CV resume workshop that, I, you know, I was pleased we had some of the highest attended programs there. That's a connection point for us. And so by doing those things, even if they're sparsely attended in some spots, it's that building of and sustaining of community at Saybrook that I think means so much to our students. The other thing we do, like our podcast, I do a thing called uh, Saybrook Insights, as you mentioned in the intro that gives students and faculty and staff a connection point as well into what's happening, like who is doing what at Saybrook. So you mentioned, uh, you know, there are so many specific examples of what we do at the university through those podcast episodes. They love that. I mean, it's kind of fun to, to see the, the comments come in about who and what our students and alumni are doing all the way to uh, the the work we do out in the community through our Saybrook serves volunteer programs. What's kind of neat about that is unlike a university that's situated in one place, we have volunteer connections all over the country. And so our students and faculty work in tandem together in delivering volunteer community-based services there. So that's how we remain connected in many different ways, as I just outlined. But I think front and center to this is how our faculty deliver the education they do. And I was uh, just, got a little verklempt the other day talking about uh, a member of ours. uh, He's since retired, um, does some dissertation reviews. But Dr. Bob Schmidt uh, has, has been at Saybrook for many, many years. And he's one of our legacy faculty members, uh, older gentlemen who, even up until his few weeks teaching full time, this is how most of our faculty do it too. He is online every day. He's reaching out to his students two to three times a week by phone. He's leaving messages in the online platform. He reads every single thing that they post, whether it's discussions or videos, and he comments on it and he's supportive and he's engaged. That's the humanistic way, right? That's, it's 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 in journey together. It's not this sort of autobot online, get your degree, you know, get your ticket punched and move on. It's really about in journey with that student and bob is one of those shining examples of a faculty member i'd say anywhere in this country yeah i'll go to your podcast title love in action that's he embodies that love of student of the the journey that they're on together in their academic works
1: sorry if i went on too long there but it was uh, you, you you pulled a string there oh no that's that's great cuz uh, you know we, we're in this world where Automation, robotics, AI is just so dominating the 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 work landscape. But I, and and I can see how that would also be the case with academia, and that is stripping uh, both students and faculty. You know, I have an, I have a nine year old, so my point of reference is you know twenty twenty, right? It's like all of a sudden the world changes, and my nine year old now is in front of a computer screen going, Daddy, what's going on here? I mean, he needed the social aspect that was removed from him. And then his his teacher, blessed her heart, she was also a fish out of water because she was forced into this, this new scenario of having to teach that she had not bought into, you know, that secondary education or early childhood education, it didn't prepare her for things like that. So yeah, it's it's there is the way that you described everything is sure you utilize technology, but you have never forsaken the human aspect of learning, in how you do your your education. I mean, there is still the, the way you described it is perfect because to me, it's you have humanized uh, education and leveraged technology to make it even more human. So that's what I heard at least. No, you're absolutely right. That can't. Yeah. I also appreciate the fact that um, you know how you described uh, sort of the, the, the approach to kind of like a humanistic development opportunity between, say, a practitioner or a therapist and the student or the or the client. It's a co-active partnership, and you know I'm a coach, so I I got certified in in, uh, in coaching, so that's how we were trained as well. Is that we we're there to kind of dance along with our our clients it's we experience the journey with them right and of course we never tell them what the answer is to their problems because we believe they have the answers deep within them we're there to kind of pull it out of them right so uh, there's a, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, similar tracks between uh, sort of my world and coaching and maybe even solution-focused therapy to, to this whole humanistic approach, right, of, of helping people to, you know, get them there, to uh, discover their own path.
0: I think you summarized that quite beautifully, Marcel. Yeah. Mm. Wonderful.
1: Thanks. Well, I want to transition to… Um, I really want to, our listeners to get to know you, the leader. So are you comfortable with now going segueing into, okay, let's talk about Nathan the leader, right? And so i I wanted to maybe talk a little bit about your personal leadership journey, moving up the career ladder. So for those of us aspiring to uh, to become future executives like yourself, what, do you, what would you say are some of the, the biggest lessons, or maybe does one float to the top that you're like, mm, oh, man, this is something that I need to share for somebody going up their upward path? What a great question.
0: I like how you framed that. I think two things really are essential. And they're, I would say they, these two things are attributes for me that I've had to work really hard on. And so I wouldn't say they came naturally to me necessarily. The first is being present, incredibly present, whether it's in conversation, in the meetings that you're in, in the actions that you take. If you're not present fully, you're going to be less effective, less impactful as a leader. And we see that across the board in industry, right, that that lack of presence leads to so many bad decisions, poor execution, disengaged leadership with employees right across the board. And so I would say that's probably principle to, you know, this whole discussion around kind of the the top two things, if you will or top thing in leadership. I would say the other thing that is really fundamental for me that I learned, and it came from an executive coach. Um, and it's a little vulnerable moment for me. So I'll, I'll just share that going into this. I had a hard time owning things. And that sounds sort of weird, right? Like, you just need to own it. What does that mean exactly? I was great at owning failure. Like it's my fault, but I couldn't lean in and own not only my successes, but own the whole thing. That was weird. That was odd. That was a struggle for me. And after this executive coach said, you need to start owning it all. Either you own it all or you need to just get out. That changed my entire perspective. Um, this is I mean from a four-time college president himself and it has changed the way in which I view my role as a leader. In other words, it's not suggesting that you hold things closely, but that you yourself as the leader are responsible the you are the steward for this beautiful institution that has, Giving you the privilege of leading it, including the people, including the students, the faculty, the staff, the resources that we have. And by being uber present and by owning all of it, you become a leader that is, you know, fully engaged, fully connected and really trusting in your people that you hire people to help you better Engage as a, as a, and live into your full self as a leader. So, I would say those are the two major things that I would offer as uh, the two components of exceptional leadership. And I'm sure there there are 150,000 leadership books out there that might take issue with those two things. But I would say, from my perspective, that's really critical. And I, if I could just offer one more insight here, that sort of is foundational be open to the possibilities that emerge i, I would have never I, in a million years 12 years ago thought i wanted to be a college president in fact that was the worst job in the world according to my brain as a faculty member and dean i thought <laughs> horrible terrible hate it just want to just focus on teaching sociology advising students being a dean, all that good stuff. And I realized as I was able to live into this moment 10 some years ago in the interim role, things changed for me that opened up new doors, new ways of thinking. And it was exciting. And so I would just urge those who are listening to be open to the journey, the possibility, the prospects, and and don't count yourself out. A lot of people say, I don't know that I can do it. Of course, you can do it. The question is, will you put in the time, the skills, the energy, find the mentor to help you do it, right? Yeah, I, I'm confident that that's the case. So. I love it. I love
1: it. Well, as we wind down here... We bring back the, the theme of the show to drive home the point, and we do this with every guest that uh, caring and loving leadership gets the best out of people and creates value and results. So we don't have to go through the mountain of evidence. It's there, right? That, you know, caring and compassionate leaders, they really uh, have outstanding performance. I mean, the evidence is there. So, Here's the, here's the love question for, for our, our guests, and you're the guest today, so I offer you this. In your own words, how do you lead with care and love day in and day out? I
0: love this question, Marcel. It's fabulous. And I think we should all ask that of ourselves every day. I would say that I lead with love in the best way I can, and I don't always live up to that, but I always try by celebrating our team here at Saybrook, and that's our entire team, our staff who work so hard on behalf of students, our faculty who have a dedication to our mission and our students in terms of helping graduate the best uh, prepared individuals possible, to our alumni. I I think celebrating their success and their commitment and loyalty is much better and much more impactful than celebrating me or celebrating my accomplishments because they pale in comparison to the success and the power that they bring to our institution. And I think that's how... I try to live every day and I try to love every day for our community, because if we do more of that as leaders, it becomes less self-directed and more outward community directed. And the rewards and benefits are just incredible, right? When you see that for all involved, right? For everyone involved. That's probably how I lean into love in my own leadership style.
1: And before we come to a close, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of to share with our listeners what Saybrook maybe has going on right now that they need to know.
0: Great question. Thank you very much. So we have a number of activities that are happening over the next few uh, weeks and months, including our Mind Body Wellness Fair coming up in later May, our Film Book and Poetry Festival coming up in August of uh, two thousand and twenty two. And then we have just joined in partnership with New Filmmakers LA. Uh, We're exploring the creation of a new College of Creative and Performing Arts at Saybrook uh, with that humanistic lens uh, applied to it. Uh, So we're hosting a number of different events across Los Angeles and then also virtual events that will be live streamed as well. Uh, As we look to expand our partnership, not only with new filmmakers, but with others. How you can find out about this is pretty awesome and easy and expansive. I'd first encourage you to go to our website at www.saybrook.edu. And our Facebook page, uh, just look us up at SayBrookU is our username on the Facebook entry. And then, of course, you can find me at Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Just type in Prez or President, and you can also follow. I provide updates on all that's happening. Plus, there's so many other things that are going on. We are finishing up, by the way, one last plug for our summer enrollment uh, that is uh, closing out on May 2nd. So if you're interested in applying, visit us at uh, saybrook.edu for that. And then of course we have availability in our uh, admissions uh, pipeline for you if you're interested for our fall admission cycle. So again, saybrook.edu.
1: Perfect. And I'll be sure to include all of those websites and contact information in my show notes as well. Nathan, we bring it home. Unfortunately, (laughs) it's been a great conversation. I wish we could go on for hours, but we bring it home with two questions. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know? I think
0: for me, there are so many things that tug at my heart, but right now it's the mental health crisis in the United States That's not just because I work at Saybrook. It it strikes home very personally. We have so many family members and friends and colleagues. Our students, both at Saybrook and across the country, are really hurting. Pandemic has caused so much trauma. But on top of that, we have a global war that's starting to emerge. Our country is polarized. That is tugging at my heart right now. And I think... You mentioned this phrase early on, there's a need for Saybrook more than ever, and I would expand that. Yes, I'm all about singing the praises of Saybrook, but I'm also hoping that in this moment, our institutions of higher learning, our mental health providers and services and and, uh, systems come together to really build out an infrastructure that can support all of our communities. We have literally 111 million people who go underserved every day now. That's a third of the United States. Now, multiply that around the globe, and it's got to be you know exponentially more. So that tugs at my heart because there's so many connected points to that. And we know that whole health is where we should be really focusing our efforts and our needs right now. Um, yeah, I think in terms of our resources to Get better to engage better, to uh, work together for a better society, and I think that's those are those are the things on my mind right now, Marcel, in addition to Ukraine and everything else we got going on. but that's super:
1: Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. And finally, you get to bring us home with your closing remark or a key takeaway to keep us inspired.
0: All right. So I think from my perspective, when we talk about Saybrook University and the power of what we offer, what we do, there is no time like the present in what we're offering, what we're doing, and what you can do to really build a better world. And I think that all comes down to self-empowerment. Each of us has that inside of us to work not only internally, but with others in journey together to make a better world. And we see it day in and day out every single day of the year. Look for those opportunities, live into those opportunities and find just one or two things that you can do, that we can do together even to really brighten the world around us, to support uh, those who are struggling, to lift up those who need lifting up and to love those who need more love.
1: Well said. And uh, so we wrap it up and here we are at the end. It's been real. It's been fun. I knew we we're going to have fun. There's no question about that in my mind, but you exceeded my expectations. So I appreciate that. And thank you. Your terrific host. Thank you so much. That wraps it up. Thank you. Love in Action Tribe for joining the conversation and hey, we're always looking for business sponsors to help us grow. If interested, you can reach me on my website, Marcelschwantes.com, or find me on LinkedIn as I as I mentioned earlier. Look for my show notes on my website, Marcelschwantes.com. Thank you for listening to the Love and Action Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.